I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, if you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. Uh, so it is the month of January 2021, and uh, it's time for our monthly Catching Up on Blu-ray episode. Uh, if you're not familiar with, with what that is, uh, Catching Up on Blu-ray episode is essentially where we take a look at the physical media release calendar. That would be DVDs, Blu-rays, and 4K discs. And uh, just say a little something about anything that jumps out at us uh, for whatever reason. And uh, here and joining me in this endeavor is my good buddy Brad from the CinemaSpeak podcast. How's it going, Brad? Oh, it's going great. Thanks again for uh, having me on a Blu-ray episode. You know, uh, I got to feed my addiction somehow, and this is a great way to talk myself into some more purchases. So glad to be back. Yeah, always good to have you, Brad. <laughs> uh, yeah, folks at home, this is essentially an excuse for Brad and I to peruse the upcoming catalog of films and just earmark anything that seems purchasable or rentable or anything along those lines. So um, if you want to play a along at home uh, to access the home version of Catching Up on Blu-ray. Uh, <laughs> just uh, navigate to the website blu-ray.com and uh, head to the release date calendar. Uh, in this case, we're reviewing January 2021. Uh, and also, if you're not familiar with how these physical media releases generally work, uh, most discs are dropped on uh, Tuesdays of each calendar week. Um, so it looks like our first proper release date in the month of January 2021 uh, falls on January 5th, and right out the gate, as is customary it, with the way uh, Blu-ray.com organizes their releases, a 4K disc is uh, the first one we got here, and it's for a, I, I want to classify it as a big little movie, uh, <laughs> <laughs> called uh, Love and Monsters on 4K and Blu-ray. Uh, this is a Paramount Pictures re uh, release, uh, and it, <laughs> holy shit, funny enough, I was just talking about this with Brad uh, right before we started recording. It stars Dylan O'Brien of American Assassin fame. <laughs> <laughs> so you know it's good. Yes, yes. Um, he brings a degree of quality to all his projects, so you can always count on him. Oh, yeah. The Maze Runner, American Assassin. <laughs> this man This man should be headlining the biggest of big little films. Um, I don't know a whole lot about this, although as far as I understand, um, it's actually reviewed somewhat favorably. Like it, it's not hated by critics for the most part. Um, and you got a little bit of Michael Rooker in there and uh, Jessica Henwick as well, who is slowly marching her way towards conquering the, the world of cinema. She's becoming a name. Not there yet, but she's popping up in the right films. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know a whole lot about this, but... It has it has an interesting look and feel to it, at least based on the promotion I saw. Where it's you know it's a cute teenage love story, but on top of that, you have some like Ray, CGI Ray Harryhausen esque monster escapades going along. And uh, as far as I th I think I heard, uh, it's a little bit more violent than you would expect as well, which I'm always in favor of. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I've heard some decent things about this one, and I'm a huge monster fan. I'm a monster head. Um, I, I love monsters, so I must love love and monsters. Uh, I do want to check this one out at some point. You know, it does seem like, you know, appealing to the young adult demographic, that stuff probably won't interest me. But, uh, you know, I can I can swallow that stuff if we get to some cool monster shit. Uh, this could be this year's uh, Mortal Engines, which is a hugely underrated classic. <laughs> Got to revisit that one, too. 
Yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, animal attack slash monster movies as well. We've, yeah. I think we brought this up on pretty much every recording that Brad and I have done, but um, maybe that maybe that should be an event month on catching up on cinema sometime, just like Animal Attack Month or Eat 'Em Up Month, as you coined it, as you coined the phrase uh, yeah. previously. Yeah. Um, and I would I would check this out. I mean, much like you, I think that like if there is like a teen schmaltzy romance angle to it, I don't I don't bite for cute really when it comes to my media diet um but i i will bite for you know giant hermit crabs eating people <laughs> like i'm all about yeah. that <laughs> uh, so that you, this this might be a rental if it was like a lost romance like a lost in translation where uh they fight the monsters and then at some point dylan o'brien has to walk away now that uh, that could be this could be a perfect movie for me I mean, I'm picturing a scene where, like, I'm, I'm just trying to picture, like, a prototypical teen romance movie. And this is me having no knowledge of what this movie is at all. I'm just picturing a scene where, in slow motion, Jessica Henwick shows up and, like, massacres something in front of him. And in slow motion, like, blood's, like, raining down from the sky. And, like, she does, like, a sexy turn in slow motion. And he's, like, he, like, fell over when a monster was chasing him. So he's, like, laying on his butt on the grass. And then we do a slow zoom on his face, and he's like, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> you and, might be you know, onto the, something. I, I, I want to say that scene's probably in this kind of movie. It, yeah. It, it has that vibe. I wouldn't hold it against it, but this is not a movie that's designed with me in mind. So mm. I'm, I don't think I could ever really hate this movie, but I'm not going to pay full price to watch it. Maybe I'll no. rent it from the Red Box or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it looks like uh, the disc got some decent marks uh, in terms of uh, image quality and stuff so maybe it's worth a look it's unfortunate that we're so far from black friday because this feels like it'd be the perfect black friday purchase of a 9.99 4k on sale oh i would i would pop on that for sure but uh next black friday that's a long way away <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean it, who knows I, I seriously doubt i will remember this film even existing <laughs> by the time we get to next black friday Fair, like I said, fair. This, this reeks of a big little movie where it's like it had some money and some talent put into it but in terms of promotion it wasn't the biggest of pushes uh, so i could totally see this getting lost in the fold entirely although they did put that uh certified fresh stamp big as life and twice as ugly on the cover so maybe that'll push some sales here and there um, but beside that disc uh, we have our first criterion release of the month um and as we tend to say here at Catching Up on Cinema, if even if you aren't familiar with what it is, if it's put out by Criterion, it's probably worth your time. And the, this film, this box set rather, certainly fits that category. Uh, it's three films by Luis Bunuel. Um, and this is a Spanish director who I'm not terribly familiar with. Um, but again, it's three films by him. It's put out by Criterion. It's probably worth your time. Yeah. And I, I love when Criterion puts out these... Uh... Like, uh, I don't know how many films this guy has, but when they put out a specific filmography of kind of an obscure director that most people aren't aware of, like, uh, who's the one guy I got? Pierre, Pierre Itai? Pierre Itai, I believe is how you say his name. Never heard of him before. Um, and I uh, picked up that Criterion. I think I got it uh, for pretty cheap used and uh, ended up loving some of it, liking to loving most of his films. And uh it was uh, it was a nice uh, just kind of dipping my toes into something that I'd never even heard of and coming out the other side just feeling all wet and free because I uh, I dipped into the pool of Pierre. 
Well, I mean, that, that's part of the cinema game. Like, if you collect enough movies and whatnot, every once in a while you got to take a chance on something that yep. doesn't really fit into your expected category of media diet and whatnot. And it's fun when that happens, when you discover something totally unexpected. And, you know, that's the name of the game here at Catching Up on Cinema. We like to check out things that are a little outside of our comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Um, but beside that, we have something uh, decidedly more lowbrow, I would assume, uh, <laughs> than the works of Luis Buñuel. Uh, this would be Savage Streets, uh, starring, what's-her-face, uh, Linda Blair uh, from The Exorcist fame. Uh, this looks like, what is it, the the Ballad of Billy Joe or whatever, <laughs> um, mixed, mixed with a slasher film. Uh, based on her outfit, anyway. Funny enough, I I just got my uh, In Search of Darkness Part Two Blu-ray disc uh, in the mail a few days ago. Mm. Uh, that was from the Kickstarter this October, um, and this film was featured in there. So I guess it's it it's somewhat akin to like a Last House on the Left type film. So okay, deals with some nasty business, but does have the revenge plot, and it's it's from the mid '80s, so it it has a sense of humor about itself, even with all the racy and ugly content in there mm-hmm. um but yeah it's basically linda blair with big hair uh shooting crossbows at, at street punks <laughs> it's like who could go wrong with that sign me up yeah uh, i i don't <laughs> think uh i was hoping i just kind of checked in the forums and it does not look like there's any really special features on this disc i was hoping maybe we'd get some sort of a linda blair interview because she uh she does tend to give uh good interviews when looking back on her films um, but doesn't look like that is included on this one. Uh, so I can't say I will be putting this one at the top of my purchase list, but, uh, you know, I'm a little curious about it. Yeah, no, I, I would totally watch this. Um, again, wouldn't pay full price for it, but if it popped up on like Shudder or something, you know, oh, sure, yeah. I'll take a look at it, you know, mm-hmm. get some goofy 80s horror in there. Um, so Brad, uh, I'm going to toss the ball to you for a second. Um, what, what jumps out at you, uh, in the week of January 5th? Anything else? Well, let me uh, point out a little film, uh, which I don't know much about, but it does interest me a little bit, um, and I might pronounce this incorrectly, Tintorera? Tintorera Tiger Shark, which uh, I believe is a Mexican production, and it's essentially a Jaws ripoff, which, uh, you know, we were kind of mentioning we love animal attack movies, eat-em-ups, and uh, even low-brow, low-budget ones, there's usually something of interest for me. The little bit of research I did into this movie uh, sounds like this movie is very, very sexual. Uh, like, from the like user reviews I was seeing, like, we're talking borderline softcore pornography. So kind of surprised it's not put out by Vinegar Syndrome. It's put out by Scorpion. But uh, I got to say, yeah, I love... Uh, movies with sharks and um this one would be uh, one that i would check out i not getting uh super high marks on the picture quality uh unfortunately but uh i'm i am curious about the film oh yeah no there was a huge wave of jaws knockoffs in the 70s and even into the 80s and whatnot and then jaws himself started making sequels like crazy so yeah <laughs> um these kinds of movies were all over like not this film in particular um especially since you know how much sexual content <laughs> there was. But um, these kinds of movies were always on, like, TBS and TNT and stuff like that. And if you didn't find it there, then you would find it on Mystery Science Theater 3000. Um, in fact, one of my favorite episodes, and I don't think it's, like, noteworthy to most people, but it just got me at the right time. And for some reason, I, th- I think of it as one of my favorite memories of that show, uh, was for, I believe, an Italian uh, Jaws knockoff called um, Devilfish. Oh, okay. And, 
Yeah, it's like a it's like an octopus, but you know the the bulb on the top of an octopus's head. For some reason, this thing had like a coelacanth head on top of the bulb, <laughs> and, and it's it was just a head facing upward with a bunch of tentacles coming out where its ears would be i guess Mm -hmm. and it's this terrible rubberized prop and it has this terrible synth score that just goes every time the thing is on screen which is a fucking lot like they didn't they didn't consult the jaws manual when it comes to managing the screen time of your hokey looking monster (laughs) um but my favorite part in that whole episode is there's this quote-unquote scientist character in that film that is perpetually sloshed <laughs> and uh always he always has like a cabana shirt wide open he's fabulously tanned he has wonderful hair for a scientist but he's always drunk but he just says this one line where he runs off screen and because it's an italian horror movie everybody's dubbed doesn't matter who you are everybody's dubbed even if you speak perfect english you are dubbed um, he runs off screen he goes i know <laughs> and for some reason that sound clip for me is like that is mystery science theater 3000 yeah, yeah. um but i have to assume uh tinto tintorera uh is probably along the same lines um i do get some burt reynolds vibes from the one guy in the screen pick uh from from the blu-ray.com profile of the film just excise the mustache and he has a little bit of a burt reynolds vibe to him so oh, yeah yeah he, he probably whips it out at some point after zoom <laughs> <laughs> probably to fight the the tiger shark or something that's, or to intimidate it that's how they sold the movie that's how they sold the movie <laughs> burt reynolds is cock versus a shark <laughs> who will win that apex predator like awards <laughs> the anaconda versus the tiger shark <laughs> nature's greatest rivalry <laughs> Um, I would totally watch this. Uh, like mm-hmm. you said, I, I'm a sucker for animal attack movies. Um, uh, actually, I've been hankering to go back and rewatch Alligator. I haven't seen it since I was a kid. And it's been it's been lingering in the back of my mind. So I don't think I would buy this, but mm, it makes me really want to check it out. Yeah. Um, but alongside that, uh, we have several movies that I'm not recognizing. We have a Burnt Lancaster film. Uh, oh, it's a John Frankenheimer film. Uh, that jumps out at me, uh, called The Train uh, from 1964. That could be interesting. Frankenheimer, I don't know if he's better when he's drunk or better when he's sober, but I know he was drunk a lot. <laughs> I want to say this was when he was sober, so maybe it's not a good one. Um, yeah, we have a I, 20- I looked up uh, some reviews of it uh, online, just like user reviews on IMDb. It seemed to be pretty highly regarded and the premise was uh pretty solid as well kind of a men on a mission world war ii movie something about nazis stealing a bunch of french art and them them having to stop the train carrying the art into germany or something like that so i I, definitely one that i think would be uh pretty sounds pretty good no that from a premise standpoint and from the 60s uh I would have to imagine it has like a, maybe a Dirty Dozen vibe to it or something. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would watch this. This seems like yeah. a dad movie. Oh, you know, for John sure. Franken, John Frankenheimer generally does very masculine films, so a war film seems very much up his alley. But uh, 12-Hour Shift is a film from 2020. Um, that seems to be the only thing I can say about it other than the choice of font is a... Uh, maybe not the best. <laughs> <laughs> Could have tried a little harder on that. Um, we have a Kino release, uh, Ingagi, from uh, 1930. Um, looks, I'm just going to read the 
description here. An expedition enters an area of the Congo jungle to investigate reports of a gorilla-worshipping tribe. After many dangerous adventures, they come upon the tribe they sought only to watch as a virgin is sacrificed to a huge gorilla who takes her away. Uh, damn. <laughs> uh, for 1930, that sounds pretty uh, intense. Um, yeah. And this was, I want to assume, before uh, King Kong. Uh, and I know there was a period in Hollywood history wherein we were apparently obsessed with gorillas. Um, I want to say this fell within that arc of cinematic history. Uh, this is me assuming, but I do know for a fact there was a decent stretch of time where an ape, everything was going bananas. There were apes everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I um, I think this actually, the way it's shot, they shoot it like a documentary. Um, so I think you'll notice on the Kino cover, it says banned. Um, and I think it's because they shot it almost like, you know, making it seem like it's real, kind of like a cannibal holocaust situation. Um, so being from 1930, that's pretty pretty ahead of its time. And, uh, you know, the fact that it seems like it clearly had some influence on King Kong as well in terms of the plot. Um, I did read it to, by today's standards. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you can assume uh, it sounds like it's probably very offensive by today's standards. Uh, a lot of blackface in this from what I read. But uh, certainly of interest, just because of that whole documentary angle. And uh, I have to admit, I'm a little curious, not that I would pick it up, but uh, a film I had never heard of until seeing it come out on Blu-ray. So, Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why this has been preserved um, by the folks at Kino, who generally you know, have a reason for doing what they do, and they do fantastic work. They have a wonderful reputation for uh, preserving films and whatnot. Um, you know, even if it has some ugly aspects to it, there's a reason why we're holding on to it. But <laughs> it makes me want to go and look up some like newspapers from 1930 and see if maybe there was like a swelling of like we gotta we gotta like marshal our forces. There's gorillas at our gates. <laughs> 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 like get the crew together the gorillas are invading <laughs> could be a possibility could be yeah. um and uh following along the uh ex- like exploitation vibes here uh looks like we have several other films of that nature um being put out on blu-ray here uh one of which is a paul newman film by the name of the secret war of harry frigg from 1968 that might be a little classier than uh, exploitation but we also have captain newman md 1963 with Gregory Peck always down for that um, then we have something called the Black Gestapo from 1975 uh, Black Enforcers slash Ghetto Warriors uh, I believe that might be an exploitation film could be <laughs> but um, moving right along let's see if we can find something contemporary uh, we have something called Yellow Rose from 2019 uh, it's a Sony Pictures release uh, it has the certified fresh stamp on it so you know they're trying to sell it to somebody um, have you heard of this, Brad? You know, the only reason I heard of it is back when theaters sort of reopened. I know it was one of the few movies that were playing at theaters around me. Um, I don't think I ever saw any promotion for it or a trailer. I think, uh, you know, when there's no movies coming out, a movie like this can uh, play in certain theaters without any promotion because, you know, people are looking for a reason to go to the movies. This might be their only choice. So, <laughs> but I, I think it's some sort of a story about a country singer or something. I don't know. It didn't didn't sound up my alley, so I did not uh, did not check it out. Yeah, well, not everything's a winner, Brad. And no. I'm right there with you. This doesn't look like a movie for me. Although maybe it'll speak to somebody who is not either of us. 
Um, but bouncing down to the next row here, uh, we have a slew of hentai releases, which we don't generally talk about here, and we're not going to start. Um, <laughs> folks at home, if you're not aware, generally when we do these catching up on Blu-ray Blu uh, episodes, uh, we tend to gloss over a lot of uh, anime releases, a lot of Japanese animation. Um, mostly, not because it's bad or anything, but just mostly because there's so fucking much of it from month to month. And I've been out of the game so long that I don't exactly know what's important and what's not. Uh, so, uh, hentai though, that's a uh, that's another thing altogether. That's not worth talking about. <laughs> um, but moving on down, um, looks like there's not a whole lot else for this first week. Um, I, holy shit, is that John Reese Davies in Moments in Space Time? It is John Reese Davies. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck. Uh, the cover for this is horrendous. Um, that is, that's all I have to say about yeah. it. Yeah, and it, it doesn't even it doesn't even have the right like uh, aspect ratio for the for the box art, so you can tell like maybe this is a tentative release where it's like, are we gonna get a Blu-ray? Because this this is definitely DVD proportions for the art. So yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, bopping on down, uh, we have January eighth, twenty twenty one, which is an off off uh, calendar date release. So this is not a Tuesday. Uh, the reason why I'll stop here for just a second is because uh, I just mentioned receiving this film in the mail. Um, in Search of Darkness Part Two, uh, the twenty twenty eighties horror documentary. It's four and a half hours of uh, interviews and clips of eighties horror films. Uh, I have both of these. Uh, documentaries they're both fantastic in fact i just watched this a few days ago um unfortunately as far as i know it was one of those like limited time offers like you've had to you basically had to purchase it through the mm. kickstarter as far as i know but yeah. maybe maybe they'll do a, a release later on um but yeah brad uh, if you can get your hands on it certainly i think this would be right up your alley yeah uh, because it's a because it's a uh, animal attack movie, I'll just mention Grizzly Two: The Revenge is also getting a Blu-ray release, um, and I've heard that movie is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, and features uh, George Clooney, Laura Dern, and Charlie Sheen in small roles, and uh, I believe has been unfinished up until now. So very uh, very interesting release of this film. Um, slightly curious to check it out, of course, p partly for the. Yeah, partly for the celebrityness and uh, for the animal attack nature. I mean, you you got two things going for it right there. <laughs> I mean, how could you go wrong with that? Um, I have seen the first one, and mm. that, that's a slightly more violent than you would expect for like a, a 1970s like Jaws on Land film. Mm -hmm. Um, and this one, like you said, wasn't finished until very recently. So I I kind of kind of anxious to check this out actually i might pick this shit up <laughs> let's see what, what is it going for 25 bucks on amazon that's not too bad it's not too bad but it's not great <laughs> yeah um that, that that's a maybe we'll come back to that when we do our wrap up um it, but m it, moving on to the the next calendar week uh we have january 12th and uh it looks like we're back to putting out these uh hokey uh fake vhs boxes for blu-ray releases of shitty films yeah um we have uh not the uh, britney spears crossroads but crossroads from 1986 uh the freshman uh, which has marlon brando and Mar matthew broderick and uh blind fury which i can confirm is a fun movie um, the other two i can't speak for but blind fury with rutger hauer uh doing the zatoichi routine uh, blind swordsman 
but Rutger Hauer. So giant Dutchman doing a Japanese swordsman routine. Fuck yes, I'm down. <laughs> um, yeah, I had a lot of fun watching that when I was young. Yeah. Um, but what do you what do you feel about this uh, this marketing gimmick? Because they were doing this like they were pushing this like maybe a year or two ago, and then they stopped maybe because of COVID or something. Um, but now it seems like they're back at it. Yeah, I, I wanted to comment on that because I, I think it's great. I wish all Blu-rays looked like this, looked like fake VHSs. I think it's a, a beautiful uh, thing, and I, I, I would love it if all my Blu-rays were like this. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I, I hate it. I think it's gross. I, it makes me not want to get these movies. I don't know if they're available in any other form on Blu-ray. Um, I hope so. If these are their only releases on Blu-ray I w- and I really wanted them, I would still buy them, but... I think it's gross. It's nostalgia garbage. Nostalgia garbage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I have to agree with you. Although the uh, the Jean-Claude Van Damme and uh, Dennis Rodman film, uh, Double Team, if I remember correctly, the, the fake VHS that they put it in is like neon green. Mm. I was like, oh, that's that's kind of cool. Like yeah. I remember when they would do that with movies. It was, it was, it was kind of like a, in the Super Nintendo days, like a contemporary of that style of marketing. You had the the Spider-Man Maximum Carnage game that came in. It came in a red cartridge, mm-hmm. and uh, Killer Instinct came in a black cartridge instead of the standard gray. And uh, Doom was also a red cartridge. And you know, every once in a while, like Disney would put out like a, a white VHS. And I I seem to remember Double Team having a funky colored one as well. But yeah, I'm I'm not a big fan of like funky box shapes in general. I think yeah. we've talked about that on a Tales from the Shelf episode. Check it out if you haven't before. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, not a big fan of of this style of presentation for a for a Blu-ray disc. And it doesn't help that these are Milk Creek discs, and I know how you feel ooh, about them. Oh, oh, I did not know that. Oh, yeah, no wonder. Oh. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Mill Creek, if you're not familiar, generally known to put out like very bare bones, not especially pretty discs in terms of like visual fidelity and whatnot. Um, but they have licenses for a lot of a lot of interesting stuff. Like they gobble up licenses for like coveted items every once in a while. Uh, so from a business standpoint, I, I guess that puts them in like the Jason Blum territory where it's like, you know, probably very sharp in terms of business sense um, when it yeah. comes to like low investment high return Um, yeah but when it when it comes to the consumer's end of things not especially noteworthy for making good product i mean everything you need to know about mill creek is their uh night of the living dead release which uh i believe you can get for like five dollars um but looks like trash versus the criterion collection edition of night of the living dead which uh you know is going to run you at least twenty dollars, and at least, and that's in the Barnes and Noble sale. But it looks amazing. So I mean, you know, it depends what kind of collector you are. If you just you just want the movie cheap, no matter how it looks, well, then you can go play in the mud with Mill Creek. But we'll be up here sitting in our palace with our Criterion's. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better, Brad. Um, no. It it really they really are kind of the studio that specializes in if you don't care about how you have it or how you get it go with Mill Creek because you mm-hmm. won't you won't pay out the nose for it and you'll have it um, yep. but more than likely someone else will put out a better version of it like a year later <laughs> um, but uh, mixed in with all that uh, Mill Creek entertainment business uh, we also have a like a boutique release from a, a distributor called uh, Arbelos which is not familiar to me uh, they only have a handful of discs uh, we have something called Satan Tango uh, this is directed by 
Beatar, uh, who is apparently a Hungarian director, so from the land of Bea Lugosi. Um, yeah, not familiar, but stunning cover art, that's for sure. And uh, from yeah. a boutique distributor, so if you're uh, if you're into those like kind of under the radar releases, this might be one for you. Yeah, um, um, got to mention uh, 450 minute runtime for this one, so uh, kind of scaring me away a little bit. Got to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I guess uh, they're they're all about their long stories in Hungary or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like sit down, kids. It's gonna be a long one. <laughs> Uh, 450 minutes of, eh. <laughs> but, uh, on that same, uh, tier, we also have, uh, Buried Alive from 1990. This is a Kino release. Mm-hmm. Uh, it comes with a slipcase if you get it early. Um, the only reason I just want to stop to point this out is I don't really know this film. Uh, the, the name is too nondescript for me to really formulate an image in my head of what it is. Uh, but it's directed by Frank Darabont, who means something to me. Um, and it has William Atherton in it, mm-hmm. <laughs> a.k.a. the man with no dick from Ghostbusters. <laughs> uh, yeah. That, that is all. That's all I'll say about that. <laughs> I, I, um, I really want to check this out because um, partly the Frank Darabont thing, you know, the cast isn't bad. You got Jennifer Jason Lee in there, too. But main reason I want to check this out, and I could probably, if I searched it online, I could probably figure this out. I have a distinct memory in my head of watching a movie and i think it was this one and i remember the ending as like as a kid and it was well maybe i won't say it in case it is the ending of this one but i've got an image in my head that for the longest time i didn't know what movie it was from and then i saw this was coming to blu-ray and i was like i think it might be that movie because i will say it involves somebody getting buried alive at the end that's why i think it might be this movie and I believe this was a made-for-TV movie, and I, I'm sure I saw it on television. So I got to check this out to see if this is the movie that I've been searching for my entire life, just for that ending. I think the ending is the only part I saw, but for some reason it stuck with me. Well, yeah, you maybe check it out. Because yeah. actually, um, a lot of made-for-TV movies from the 90s in particular, I have I have very warm memories of. Like all those Stephen King uh, two-parters and stuff that were all over the airwaves in the 90s. I I love coming back to those. They're just, they're not good, but oh my God, they're fun. Especially Mm -hmm. if you remember like the general vibe and like if you, if you really like shut your eyes and think hard, you can kind of remember the Diet Coke and Diet Pepsi commercials and stuff in between. (laughs) Like whenever the screen fades to black, you're like, wow, this puts me in a totally different place in time. But um, one of my favorites was the uh, Peter Benchley adaptation, The Beast. Uh, it's, it's about a giant squid. So the the writer of uh, Jaws, the novel, mm-hmm. also wrote a book called The Beast, which I, I read. And then they made a two-part uh, television movie about it. Um, and then a few years after that, we got the uh, American Godzilla wave of TV movies, wherein we were just assaulted with giant cgi monster movies like made for tv movies in anticipation of the release of godzilla yeah much like carnosaur and jurassic park and whatnot you got to cash in man um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so like we had a, uh, I think it was like behemoth or something um starring the not baldwin it was adam baldwin and it was ah. god awful and then i th- I'm trying to remember the other one. There were, there were like three of them that all came out with, within a very narrow window of time. They all mm-hmm. fucking sucked. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, those TV movies from the 90s, have, I have a soft spot for them. Um, oh, yeah. And Frank Darabont's name certainly carries quite a bit of weight. And if I want to see a, a man with no dick try to break out of a, 
a coffin bu- buried underground, I, I, I know which movie to check out. <laughs> he won't be using his dick to break out, I can tell you that much. He doesn't have one. How can, like, <laughs> how, how can he use a tool he doesn't have? Um, if only he had Burt Reynolds' equipment. <laughs> it could have saved his life. Um, but boffing on down here, um, we have a Japanese animation, not uh, not 2D hand-drawn animation, but CGI animation that I will pause for a second to point out. We have uh, Rupan the Third, uh, colon, the first. <laughs> not confusing at all. <laughs> so this is from 2019, and uh, uh, Lupin, or Rupan, is a uh, one of one of like Japanese animation's like most enduring characters. Like he's been around since the sixties and they've like basically been putting out stuff for him for forever. Like like it basically never stopped. It's kinda of like our Ninja Turtles where it's like you you left. The turtles kept on rolling though. Um and same with Rupan. Like he, he's just always been there. And uh this this is a kind of a high bet high budget CGI animated film from a Japanese studio and I'm curious about how it is. I don't have high hopes for its quality, um, but this is not the kind of thing that gets produced in Japan very often. Like they they do this kind of stuff, but it's very seldom that they invest this much time and effort into something, uh, something animated anyway. Uh, so I'm curious. I mean, I I have a soft spot for Drupan. It's like it's like a if you're if you're down for like I don't know heist caper stories and whatnot. Uh, the cast of characters are very archetypal. It's very easy to get your bearings in terms of like who's who and who does what and whatnot. Um, and the character designs are still there. Like like everything's it's it has a very solid foundation to be good. Uh, I suspect it's not. Um, but I'm curious to check this out. I'm not about to buy it like blindly or anything, but I'll have to look up some reviews. Um, but beside that, we also have a uh, Criterion release. Uh, for something called Minding the Gap from 2018. Uh, do you know this one? Yeah, th- this movie uh, actually, I believe, uh, in 2018 made my top 10 list of that year. It's a documentary about a group of uh, young skateboarders and um, kind of them using skateboarding as a way to escape from their troubled home life. And then as one of them becomes a father, you start to see how the abuse from his father starts to influence him and his young son um, and the way that he treats his wife or his girlfriend or whatever it is. Uh, yeah, it's a great documentary. I think the director, if I'm remembering right, is one of the young men. Um, and I think you can, on the cover, it looks like one of the skateboarders is holding a camera. So kind of interesting. He makes a documentary about him and his group of friends. And it, uh, I know it was pretty acclaimed when it came out. And um, it was a Hulu original, which, you know, kind of that phrase brings a little bit of vomit into the back of my throat but uh actually it was probably better than almost every netflix original i've seen so it definitely gave hulu a little bit of a boost of credibility in my mind although i think it was just something that they acquired after the fact but yeah it's it's a great documentary okay well it sounds like it it earned its spot on the criterion collection um, mm-hmm. i might check that out that sounds intriguing mm-hmm. um and beside that, we have a uh, disc put out by Code Red, who also put out Savage Streets, and it looks like they kind of work within this territory of like, you know, borderline exploitation films, or not not borderline. They do exploitation <laughs> films, but uh, <laughs> just before Dawn from 1981. Uh, this one is not known to me, but I'll just point out that it has George Kennedy, who uh, does some good stuff every once in a while, but uh, 
regardless of what film he's in, he's always very affable. I've noticed that about George Candy. He's, you're just always happy to see him. <laughs> um, but he's just, he just has that like big, like John Goodman big guy vibes to him. Where it's mm-hmm. just like, hey, <laughs> like I could walk up to him and punch him in the shoulder and say, hey, how you doing? And he'd be like, hey, I'm all right. <laughs> and it would probably not piss him off, I hope. But uh, beside that, uh, we have the little engine that could, as far as uh, direct to uh, DVD franchises go, Skylines. So this would be the third Skyline film. Um, I didn't see the first one, but I own the second one. Oh, okay. Uh, so so the, the first one was uh, directed by the brothers Strauss, uh, yeah. known for doing the AVP Requiem film and nothing else. <laughs> um, and then they, they said, fuck that, we're done with Skylines. And then this fella, Liam O'Donnell, stepped up and kind of took the reins of this franchise and is apparently trying to make something of it because he's got two films under his belt and a surprisingly like diverse array of like decent character actors working with him. Like that that second one has like Frank Grillo is the headline of it, but mm. um I think uh they got Eco Wise in there as well. And uh it it's not half bad. Like as far as like direct to video films go, like direct to video action films go, uh, the special effects are overly ambitious. Uh, the fight choreography as well. It's like it's not up to the standard of what you would expect from Eco Wise at this point. Like he's kind of the the foremost on screen talent these days when it comes to action choreography and whatnot. But you could tell they had very little money to work with. And, like, the CGI, like, there's a lot of green-screened environments in the film that are kind of cringeworthy from time to time. Um, It's not good, Um, but I picked it up because uh, at the time when the second one came out, Beyond Skyline 2017, uh, I was just starved for eco-wise content, and I was like, yeah, I mean, I guess we're watching Skylines. (laughs) 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 And it looks like he did not return for the third one, though, which... uh, puts it in jeopardy as far as uh, I'm concerned, like in regards to me watching it. But they, they subbed him out for Rona Mitra and Daniel Bernhardt, who is not even listed among the credits, which <laughs> is troubling being as he's like the selling point for me in, in terms of the cast for this yeah. film. Uh, but that, that tells me maybe he's just there to fall down or something as opposed to like headline the film. Um, but yeah, I, never in a million fucking years would I have expected Skyline Skyline to get a sequel, let alone two. Uh, yeah, I saw this in the in the calendar here, and I was like, Skylines. Oh, that's got almost the same name as that uh, shitty Skyline movie that came out ten years ago. Isn't that funny? I didn't I didn't even consider that it was actually a sequel, <laughs> <laughs> let alone the second sequel. Yeah, the first one I I want to say is one of those one of those big budget sci-fi movies that it's one of the easiest to forget that it even exists. Like if I say Skyline, most people will be like, "Oh yeah, I, I seem to remember something like that." But then they mix and match memories of Independence Day resurgence and stuff like that, and they're like, "Was that a movie, <laughs> or, or is that just me remembering Independence Day, a movie that I have to assume is infinitely better?" Uh, but yeah, it was just a total fart in the wind, and then suddenly we get this somewhat high-profile direct-to-DVD sequel, um, and a, another one. <laughs> so like, I I don't know who's buying these movies. Apparently me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it's the little engine that could, as far as uh, direct-to-DVD franchises go. Um, but moving along, uh, we have another Kino release, 
of of 2014 film by the name of Stretch, which mm. uh, th- this is a uh, put out by oh this was directed by Joe Carnahan and stars Patrick Wilson, Chris Pine, Jessica Alba, Norman Reedus, and Ed Helms. Yeah, <laughs> and is that is that David Hasselhoff? I see. Um, it might be. What Let me, f- I what I the think fuck I might is this movie? This movie. <laughs> Yeah, I, I watched shit. this movie. Um, don't remember anything about it. I, I, you know, I feel like it was kind of a bit of a disappointment considering the cast and the director. Um, but I think it, it showed up on Netflix a few years back, and I watched it and uh, might have fallen asleep. I may, maybe, um, but I did log it on Letterboxd, so uh, I, I can't speak to anything about the movie. But uh, I have seen it. I can confirm that. Yeah, Joe Carnahan's a puzzling figure in Hollywood. Uh, he had a little bit of a wave there, and then I think maybe he pissed off the wrong people or something uh, because he he didn't follow the momentum. Like he he didn't get any he didn't get anything after that. Like his his big hit was like around uh, the gray. I want to say it was like the big one for me anyway. Uh, Smoke and Aces was what kind of put him on the map. That and Narc. Um, although I don't know if he directed Narc, but. Um, Smoke and Aces for sure had a lot more money put into it than it should have. Um, I often point to that film as being an example of uh, how to kind of shoot yourself in the foot when it comes to uh, making promises with a, with like an action movie and then failing to deliver. Because uh, the marketing for that film made all sorts of promises that they absolutely just fell flat on their face in trying to deliver. Um, but I really like The Grey quite a bit. The A-Team mm-hmm. can suck my dick. Uh, that movie's terrible. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. but then I remember he uh, apparently this was uh, 2018 so several years after Stretch uh, he had a movie called El Chicano that he was really he was really like dumping a lot of himself into trying to promote and uh, he I guess there was like some backlash or something like he was really angry with, with Hollywood like he felt that the film wasn't promoted because uh, because it was like a Latin superhero film and he felt there was some stigma against that or something among the the powers that be uh but it looks like he's kept on working after that and uh now he has another film coming out um called boss level which just got a trailer a few days ago as far as i know um it doesn't look amazing by any means but joe carnahan like i i don't know if this is accurate i don't think it is but for some reason i kind of lump him in with david Ayer, where it's like he he's got something but he doesn't tap into it all the time so mm-hmm. he, when he's on, he's, he can be very, very good, but, you know, it doesn't doesn't manifest all the time. But that that's I don't think that's accurate. But it's just I, my brain puts them in the same box. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of fair. Um, I'm with you, though. I think The Grey is a pretty great movie. Great little uh, survival flick. Um, but, yeah, he's kind of. Seems like, I, I, from what I know, that was probably one of his more acclaimed movies and stretch might have. Uh, derailed his career a little bit i mean it's funny because on paper just looking at that cast and like the the review for the visual fidelity of the disc and whatnot it sounds pretty good like i i mean i've said it countless times on this podcast i like patrick wilson yeah (laughs) like Mm -hmm. like it's not even that he like he's a huge selling point it's just i like patrick wilson and if I see him in something, I'll have that reaction, which means half of the battle is won. Um, but apparently this movie was a fart in the wind or something because, like I said, that El Chicano movie, four years later, uh, that's quite a gap in your in your work history. Um, but yeah, I, I'm curious about it, but not enough to 
pony up the cash to check it out. Uh, maybe if it's on Tubi. It looks like a Tubi movie, that's for oh, sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> looks like a Tubi original. <laughs> um, but I'll, uh, I'll pass the baton to you, Brad. Uh, what what jumps out at you next? Um, well, I'm going down a few uh, few notches here and mentioning uh, a movie, just because it's a 2020 movie, uh, Ammonite, I think is how you say it. It is a uh, just a, you know... Classic romance between uh, Saoirse Ronan and Kate Winslet, I believe. Um, takes place in the 1800s. Don't know too much about it. I think it got kind of a nice uh, reception when it came out, um, but didn't make too much of a splash, and I don't even know if it was a theatrical release at all or if it was a VOD thing or whatnot. But uh love Saoirse Ronan, and I like Kate Winslet quite a bit as well. So... It's got a little bit of a, you know, I might have to add this to my uh, Saoirse collection, um, as I did with, uh, what is it, Mary, Queen of Scots, which I bought uh, just because she was in it. Um, Haven't watched it, but uh, (laughs) um, definitely uh, might check this one out at some point. Yeah, she's got them eyes. Uh, mm-hmm. I, oh yeah, I, I hear, I hear you. Uh, she she has an allure to her, and on top of that, she's a very very talented actress. Um, but yeah, I don't know anything about this, but it's a 2020 release, and you have two very skilled actresses at the helm, so you know, could could be certainly worth a look. Um, only reason I'll mention it is it's a re-release, so it's not especially noteworthy. But only reason I'll mention is because we pointed out Love and Monsters at the top of this recording. Uh, we have a Zombieland two-pack, and something about the cover art and just like the general vibe of the marketing kind of again, my brain puts those those movies in the same box as love and monsters yeah although from what i i've heard um the first zombie land is quite good um the second one apparently not so much yeah i would agree with that and also i have to point out now this could just be a mistake maybe for on blu-ray.com but is the um artwork on the front cover it has the sequel above the original which is pretty gross to me. That is disgusting. Uh, that should be burned in a fire and never see the light of day again. I, I don't know who, who decided to do that, but that is gross. Yeah, that is that is very confusing. Like, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Because we have Zombieland double tap on the top half of the cover and then Zombieland beneath that. So you get to see older Jesse Eisenberg suspended above uh, larger younger jesse eisenberg it's like oh, are we moving is this tenant or something are we are we inverted <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um what do you think the odds are that we'll have a zombie land triple tap i would say pretty low because <laughs> I, I mean i don't know how much money it made but i feel like you know the zombie land it was like people when it, the first one came out it had hype people really liked it and there was, you know, people saying, oh, we'd love to see a sequel. This would be a great movie to have a sequel because you can just keep, you know, the rules going in this world and stuff and these characters. And then I feel like the sequel came out and it was a bit of a fart in the wind. Now, it might it might have made money. I don't know. But it just feels like the general vibe. Nobody really checked it out. Yeah, that's what I got. I mean, I, I've talked to some people that really, really actively dislike uh, Double Tap. Mm. Um, and it needs to be pointed out also that there are 10 years between the release of the two films. Yeah. Uh, and Ruben Fleischer seems to be a little bit of a schizophrenic director. Um, his presence in Hollywood, he kind of like jumps all over the place. He has a lot of TV credits, mostly as writer, as far as I know, um, and producer and whatnot. And he also has Gangster Squad on there, which 
holy fuck in terms of like on paper possibilities that movie ranks very high on my list of things that could have been like the coolest shit ever mm-hmm. but then the end like the actual products like eh, it's it's fine <laughs> it's it's fine <laughs> it's like well, you want to expand on it no it's fine <laughs> shut up yeah <laughs> gangster squad is fine yeah. um but then uh of course venom is like one of the the big things that kind of put him back in uh, hollywood's That's good right. graces yeah. yeah um and apparently he's sitting on a shelf now because that uncharted movie got pushed back all the way to like 2022 mm. uh, so uh, I don't know. Maybe he needs maybe he needs some uh, keep busy money or something. Maybe he'll uh, t- say like, "Hey, Woody, uh, looks like uh, Venom Two is uh, put on hold for a little while. Uh, you want to do a Zombie Land again?" <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know what they say about Ruben Fleischer. When you look up the word auteur in the dictionary, there is not a picture of Ruben Fleischer next to it. That's 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 for that's for certain. Um, <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean yeah. he, the guy's all right. I, I, you know, his stuff is okay. I, yeah. I don't think I've seen anything of his that I actively dislike, but I think everything is pretty mediocre across the board. Um, so that seems accurate, and I haven't yeah. seen all of it. Obviously, I haven't even seen any of the Zombieland movies, and that was kind of what got everything started for him. But yeah, Venom is aggressively mediocre. Um, and as far as I hear, uh, Zombieland 2 wasn't that great. But yeah, if you look up auteur in the dictionary, you'll find a picture of Ruben Fleischer doing one of these hand <laughs> expressions. Just, no, 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 you want the other guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but let's uh, let's keep this train rolling here. So we have a couple of, uh, again, damn. Uh, apparently, Blu-ray is the format of exploitation cinema uh, because we get, like, 85% like exploitation releases these days. I blame the red letter media folks. Um, for, <laughs> I, seriously, I'm not even joking about that. I want to say they really do have an influence on what, what licenses are obtained and whatnot, what distribution mm-hmm. rights are obtained. Uh, because I see a lot of stuff that they talk about end up on Blu-ray very shortly thereafter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we have something called the man from Hong Kong from twilight time. That's surprising. Um, yeah, and then we al- we also have something called Venom. Uh, this is also a Twilight Time release. Weren't they dead, Brad? They were, but they were purchased or acquired by Screen Archives Entertainment, who are like Screen Archives Entertainment already sold Twilight Time releases on their site, and then when Twilight Time went under, I guess they sort of resurrected them, and so now I, I know of these two releases. I don't know if any more will come. Um, after this, but I I'm I might just pick these up just because you know it's the kind of thing where you you thought it's like if uh, say somebody you casually knew a casual acquaintance you found out they died and you're like oh man I I really lo- I mean that guy was nice that that sucks and then you find out he all of a sudden he's not dead he gets brought back to life and you're like I got to go have lunch with that guy so you go have lunch with him that one time and then uh, you know. After that, you probably don't see him again. You're like, eh, well, I, I hung out with him that one time. I, I know he's there, so I, I don't need to see him again. So that might be me with these releases. I'll pick up these first two just because Twilight Time is back. And then if they release more, I probably won't continue buying them. But Twilight Time is back, baby. They're back from the dead, so I might pick up these two. Yeah, you heard it here, folks. Twilight Time, only mostly dead. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, yes. But yeah, it needs to be said. The cover art for both those releases is stunning. Uh, yeah, very eye-catching. I, I love them. But 
Uh, those both come out on January 18th, um, but let's move on to the Tuesday of that week. That would be January 19th, and holy shit, we have a couple of very high-profile 4K discs in the form of uh, They Live and The Prince of Darkness. Uh, both are John Carpenter films, and uh, what's the buzz on the quality of these discs, Brad? Are you, do you know? Uh, I haven't, uh, I haven't ha- kept my ear to the ground on the quality. Um, let's see, I'm just doing a quick search on Blu-ray.com, Prince of Darkness 4.5, picture quality, and, uh, let's see, They Live, what do we got here? 4.5. Uh, 4.5 as well, so, you know, not bad, not bad. Um, yeah. I've never seen These They Live, both, uh... uh, actually. Oh, you haven't? Is, it's a bit of a blind spot for me. I own it. I just it's one of those movies that I know I like John Carpenter a lot. I know this is one of people say is one of his best films. And uh I don't know, sometimes when you know you're going to watch a movie that you're probably going to love, for some reason you just keep putting it off cuz it's like I'm not ready for that type of commitment where I know I'm going to watch a new new favorite. So I just watch trash that I know I will think is either bad or mediocre. But um now that I've never watched it on Blu-ray, I can watch it on 4K now. <laughs> I don't know where that comes from, Brad, but I feel you, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I do that all the time. I mean, I, I have actually been doing a thing where I, I put aside movies that I haven't watched yet. Like, anything I bring into my home that I haven't watched yet has a special place. It's, like, right in clear view just to serve as a reminder of me fucking up <laughs> mm-hmm. every day of my life. And yet that 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 little stack... It's not little, by the way. That's me speaking out of school. Um, that stack rarely diminishes, and it's because I, I keep doing like you, and I keep just like watching stuff, like mediocre stuff, things that I know aren't gonna, isn't going to be that great, but it's safe. Like I don't yeah. have to worry about getting invested in it. And yeah, I don't know where that comes from, but it is a thing among collectors. So I feel you, Brad. It sucks, mm-hmm. but um, they live. I, I own on DVD. A, a good friend of mine that I've known since fucking high school. Uh, he got it for me as like a birthday gift or something, and it's awesome. Uh, <laughs> um, in fact, I I so badly want to recreate the the famous uh, Roddy Piper and David Keith or Keith David uh, fight. Mm-hmm. Um, just because it's so hilarious how long it goes and like the the pace of it is so lackadaisical that it's it becomes hilarious and it just keeps going and going and going and it's it's wonderful you can tell that they just said hey you're a wrestler <laughs> like, let's have a scene where you rough house in an alley for five minutes it's like <laughs> okay let's do that john <laughs> and it's wonderful um they live is great it's it's very dumb for sure but mm-hmm. uh it's it's a great watch with friends i'll tell you that much um, but the, I'm actually really jazzed for Prince of Darkness because, um, like you, this is a blind spot in his filmography for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is like the big one, though, that like I, I know it's not especially loved by anyone, really. But it's like a weird experiment on his part, because I think this came out after Big Trouble in Little China. So he wasn't able to like get huge budgets. Uh, but the cast is really strange like it has a lot of people from big trouble in little china it has donald pleasance it has a lot of people you wouldn't expect to headline a movie of this nature um and just the premise sounds like a lot of fun and i know alice cooper has a cameo in there um Mm -hmm. so this is one i'm actually like really it's been on my list since like since i was like a teenager or something so maybe i need to pull the trigger on this one because yeah 4.5 out of 5 on 4k it's john carpenter so well 
it's 80s John Carpenter, so I know it won't suck. Um, it's not go- <laughs> It's not Ghosts from Mars, put it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I like Prince of Darkness. It's, it's a good one. I, I like the tone of it. Um, it's, you know, it's a little goofy at times, and I feel like there's some issues with some of the characters and some of the plot, but it, just in terms of the vibe, I think it's great. Um, and it does have some very memorable, cool moments. And, you know, any movie that's got an Alice Cooper cameo makes it at least 10% better. I mean, what was it? Uh, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. I, I don't think he helped that one any, but... <laughs> uh, I mean, he actually looked the part. He plays Freddy Krueger's dad in that one. So he, mm-hmm. he looked the part, but it's like, dude, this movie sucks. Like, run while you can, Alice. He's just like, my legs don't move like that. <laughs> Too much <Right>. rocking. <laughs> but um, beside that, we have a movie called Accepted, which uh, I have a good friend in Japan who may or may not be listening right now. So I'll just point out that Justin Long is in this film. It's from 2006. And uh, said friend happens to bear a very, very, very strong resemblance to Justin Long. So mm. uh, a lot of Mac uh, jo- jokes were made <laughs> on yeah. his behalf. Uh, back in the day so um, he knows who he is but uh, we have a 4k disc of 2012 Uh, this would be the uh, Roland Emmerich uh, disaster film which uh, was kind uh, was this a fart in the wind like because I know the hype train was pretty big for it because 2012 was when like all the studios kind of bought into the Mayan prophecy a little bit and Mm -hmm. just kind of like threw everything they had out there like this was I think like around the time we got Avengers and the Dark Knight Rises and stuff, like in the wake of 2012, a lot of movement occurred in in Hollywood. But do you remember this one, like making an impression? I feel I never saw it, but I feel like it did do pretty well because I feel like at the time, I know a lot of my friends and casual acquaintances. I feel like they did check it out, and I think partly because of the the 2012 thing, and it's you know just kind of a popcorny disaster movie, and I I like those kind of movies, so I don't know why I never sought this one out or watched it i don't think it got like a great reception overall but um i'm I'm always down for a disaster film so i definitely want to check this one out it's okay um there are much much better disaster films out there i want to say the the 90s wave of disaster films was far superior to this one but this was mm-hmm. definitely an attempt to like recapture that magic a little bit there's a reason why roland emmerich is at the helm of this one um, and it has a lot of his staples, like a, there's a divorced dad in there <laughs> and a, a very, very diverse cast, which he's also known for. Um, but I want to say the the spectacle actually backfires a little bit where it's too big. Mm. It's it's too difficult to get invested because the camera's pulled so far back and the stakes are so high. That it's just like, well, what the fuck am I watching? Like, like, how can I give a shit about this? I'm just watching a screensaver, essentially. <laughs> but, <laughs> It's all right. Oliver Platt is awesome in it, by the way. Oh, okay. Um, he, like, Oliver Platt knows how to play a, a dick in a suit, um, unlike William Atherton, who, as we mentioned earlier, doesn't have one of those. And <laughs> he does He does look good in a suit. I'll give him that much. Yeah. You, you got to have both, though. Um, yeah, 2012, as far as like Roland Emmerich's disaster movies or just disaster movies in general go, it's it's fine. Like mm-hmm. like Gangster Squad, it, it's fine. <laughs> let's, let's just stop the conversation there. Yeah. Um, but beside that, we have an Arrow release of a Korean film called uh, JSA colon, Joint Security Area. Um, I haven't personally seen this, but this is a Park Chan-wook film. And uh, as oh, far as oh, I know, wow. it was very inflammatory from a like a political standpoint. Uh, 
in Korea, they put out movies like this every once in a while that kind of hold the mirror up to their their own history and their own government. Mm-hmm. And uh, they get pretty ferocious about some stuff. Like um, there was a really turbulent time in the late 80s in South Korea that uh, they actually have been making a lot of movies about recently. Uh, and it involves a lot of like military pointing the guns at the civilian populace and like murdering their own citizens and whatnot. Um, and they're not shy about talking about that kind of stuff with their movies. Um, it's kind of a, I guess, a cultural difference between them and a lot of the rest of the world, where they they're they're not afraid to open some of those doors uh, that, like we here in the U.S., maybe aren't as a uh, prone to explore, at least in like mainstream big budget cinema and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, so this yeah. is an important film. I'm glad it's getting an Arrow release. I'd actually really like to go back and revisit it because 2000 was kind of that was around the time when South Korean cinema was really kind of popping up on everyone's radar internationally. And being as it's directed by Park Chan-wook, there's a, there's a reason for that because a lot, a lot of talent was born out of this era. Yeah, I had no idea that he uh, directed this, but that's certainly shot its attention up for me. I, I really like Park Chan-wook. Um, so I, is, it, is this supposed to be like good? Does it have a good reception? Or Oh, yeah. No, it, yeah. It's, it's definitely a like a... It it appears on a lot of people's radars, uh, okay, as as being an important film from this particular time period. Yeah, yeah, no, um, I'm always looking for an excuse to check out more Arrow stuff, uh, mm-hmm. being as they're like a kind of a prestige distributor that I, I actually don't have very much of their catalog. But this is one that I've I've known about since it first came out. I just never got around to it. It's funny because other Korean movies reference it from time to time. Like I was I just was rewatching some uh, Korean movies I have uh, the other day. And one of them actually just didn't necessarily like reference the actual historic events and whatnot. It actually just referenced the movie directly. <laughs> so I was like, that's kind of meta. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> it's like, you gotta be careful with that because the movie I was watching was not that good. <laughs> but mm-hmm. but um, moving right along though, uh, we have a Serbian film from 2020, uh, 2010 rather. Um, this was a movie that uh, Kyle and I actually flirted with the idea of doing for fucked up shit month Mm, um mm -hmm. but we decided it was a brand of fucked up that maybe we didn't want to explore for two hours (laughs) like in conversation anyway yeah um this is a movie i know by reputation and nothing else but i know for a fact that you have seen it is it like what do you think of it brad yeah i mean it's definitely uh earns its reputation um i mean honestly the thing is i watched it quite a while ago and it was kind of the thing where it's like me and my friend took the serbian film challenge you know we liked watching you know fucked up shit like you said and this was the one that you know in the internet uh you know it had the rumblings that this was the most fucked up shit of all so we said we got to watch this and we sat down and watched it and i certainly remember the fucked up shit parts of the film don't remember anything else like i don't remember how those moments pieced together don't remember anything of the plot just remember like those three or four specific moments um that stand out so i can't i can't really say i'm curious to rewatch it because curious is the wrong word but i kind of want to revisit it so i can like take in the parts that aren't just the you know the fucked up shit um so yeah i can't say i'm gonna watch it anytime soon but maybe down the road yeah, I, I might take the Serbian film challenge at some point. <laughs> um, although it needs to be said, I'm in my 30s now. Um, and I don't know what it is about teenage boys that are into like horror cinema and something. But 
um yeah for some reason fucked up shit was part of the diet like it was Mm -hmm. a mainstay of the diet like in the late teenage years and like early college years and whatnot um but i've gotten away from that in recent days and that's actually part of why i think we did fucked up shit month was to kind of like tap into that energy and uh, see how we react to it now as older more seasoned people yeah Um, yeah and i think the biggest takeaway i have now is that i it's not that i have less tolerance for it it's that i have less time for it so it's like do i really want to just subject myself to this kind of stuff like what what do i actually get out of it (laughs) yeah uh, so we'll see probably it's a maybe for me but it's again a film i know very much by reputation yeah, uh, it's kind of interesting. Like I remember, I was probably maybe I must have been in high school, but it was before I had any sort of like credit card of my own or anything, so I couldn't really buy anything online unless I like got my parents to help me out or whatever. So I not like I was going to ask them to buy a Serbian film for me or something like that. So at one point I was actually at a local video store, Fye, and I found the DVD. And I think I was texting my friend. I was like, dude, I found the DVD. Should I get it? And I, I don't think I ended up buying it, but I was like finding it out in the wild. It was like a like, holy shit kind of moment <laughs> at the time. So. Oh, yeah. No, around that time, I want to say is when uh, a lot of disc publishers were getting wise to the fact that there was an audience for this sort of thing. Uh, this was when. Uh, like the Tokyo Shock label was like in full swing and stuff where they they kind of advertised it loud and proud. It's like you wanna see some shit? <laughs> like pay pay thirty two ninety nine to watch this like shitty horror film that isn't very good <laughs> but has some really fucked up stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, I remember paying that much for fucking terrible DVDs at Suncoast Video. <laughs> but I'm glad we've moved past that. But uh, beside that, we have a Criterion release of a Martin Scorsese documentary, uh, Rolling Thunder Review, a Bob Dylan story. Um, didn't he do a, a, a Rolling Stone documentary a while back? Yeah, he's got a, a number of musical documentaries under his belt, which um, I've never watched any of them. But I probably should because, you know, I love Scorsese and I, I've heard his music docs are pretty great. Um, it's interesting that he like I think he even had a documentary series come out on Netflix recently and he does a lot of docs. And I don't know how hands on he is with a lot of this stuff, but um, it's interesting that. You know, I kind of, even though I love documentaries and I love Scorsese, for some reason I kind of just brush his docs under the rug, and I've never checked them out. I need to, I need to re uh, reevaluate that uh, decision and actually watch some of these. And I do like Bob Dylan, so um, could be worth checking out. Yeah, no, I'd like to do the same. Actually, I haven't watched any of them either, but I mean, just watching any of his films, you can tell the man has an ear for music. Um, I don't know mm. how much of an actual background he has and, and like breadth of knowledge and whatnot, but you can tell that when he's making his films, he he has a soundtrack playing in his head, and I think it it's a huge part of the appeal of a lot of his movies. Is it he he does it in such a way so artfully where he he edits the music into his films and it doesn't doesn't come across as cheap because you see so many young filmmakers especially pull the same trick and it comes across as pretentious or showy or just playing like amateurish like using music to guide the edit sometimes can end up real fucking ugly Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, yeah but in his case it always blends so beautifully and perfectly um and i think it's funny too like watching like behind the scenes footage of him conducting the set like i use that word very precisely because he's actually like waving his hands around like a conductor of an orchestra 
Um, so I feel like a mind like that would, would work really well at telling the story of a musician's career. Um, but moving along, uh, we have, what do we have? Um, <laughs> well, we've got uh, The Curious Dr. Hump from 1969 <laughs> from, uh, what does AGFA stand for? It's uh, American Genre Film Archive. Um, oh, so you know it sucks. <laughs> yeah. I, I got to say, I, I love these. I've only bought one of them, but I love that. It's just cool that they're putting out these like really like like ultra small, like low budget schlocky films. Um, and I think it's cool that they're putting them out. I, you know, it's, do you actually want to pay for them and, uh, have them on your shelf? I did buy that one, uh, the alien abduction one, uh, the Uh, McPherson McPherson. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that one, I mean, it was, uh, you know, an interesting little oddity. I don't know anything about this, but yeah, lately, if I see that AGFA, uh, logo, it, it at least catches my attention. Yeah, actually, I I have a little dream in the back of my head that I would love to see bone sickness end up being put out on Blu-ray by them someday. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see. Fingers crossed. But the curious, the curious Doctor Hump. Um, we have several other crappy-looking movies that I'm not even gonna bring up. And then we have a big one that also is kind of crappy, but I'm gonna draw attention to it because fuck you, it's my show. Uh, Max Cloud from 2019, starring Scott Adkins. Mm. Uh, I just watched this the other day. Uh, this uh, this movie's cute. Um, it's I don't know who it's for though. That's kind of the problem because the gimmick is that it's like a uh, retro video game story wherein a person is sucked into the video game, um, and we have a situation where we keep cutting back and forth between realities where there's the the live action actors acting out the video game and then somebody in normal reality playing said game and from a visual standpoint it's all executed very very well the special effects in this are actually kind of charming uh Hmm. somebody did a lot of like 16-bit sprite work and uh it's all seamlessly animated it looks it looks of its time uh it looks like a, a video game you could actually play almost in fact i wouldn't be surprised if there was a playable version of this max cloud game that somebody made specifically for the production of the film but uh it's really a trying to coast really strong on that uh throwback vibe uh, there's a lot of like synth wave music on the score that it's all enjoyable and whatnot but it's also a little bit confused because it takes place in 1990 and the the game console they're using is a sega genesis slash uh, mega drive um and when i think of like that synth wave vibe i think 80s um and even the bedroom which which most of the live action elements of the film take place in is adorned with like karate kid posters and there's a song by stan bush um dare uh from the transformers the movie soundtrack from 1986 uh, and yet our story takes place in 1990 and uses 16-bit hardware as opposed to like 8-bit like nintendo hardware it, it's just a little bit weird in that sense mm-hmm. uh but scott adkins gets he gets to do his thing uh he gets to ham it up from time to time because he's basically playing like a space uh buzz lightyear type character like he doesn't he doesn't know that he's in a video game and he's like super over the top and take charge type personality even the action choreography they do some stuff with the camera angles where it's like the old boy angle where it feels like you're watching a a video game where it's like on a 2d plane and whatnot and like uh his neutral stance uh scott adkins that is is like mortal Kombat, where it's like it's like it's like a it's like a repetitive cycle of animation kind of it's cute and there's a there's a really neat fake 
one take action scene in there it's stitched together in post for sure but the execution of it is uh pretty seamless actually like other than like a few flashes into the camera and stuff you really can't tell but um also the the novelty of uh the casting is kind of fun too because john Hanna is in here uh, aka the annoying brother from the mummy films Mm. Um, he plays the villain in it and uh am i i could be wrong brad but is a lashana lynch is that the gal who's in the new uh, no time to die bond movie um, uh, i could be totally might be wrong. correct i think i think you're right yeah yeah she's in here and that's interesting it's like so you mean like only a year removed from bond she's doing this <laughs> that's like, okay yeah and this was the same uh same year as captain marvel which she was in as well um oh yeah that's right yeah mm-hmm. so she you know humble beginnings because max cloud is certainly a humble production but it's a cute one um but like i said i I don't know who it's for though because this kind of like retro game aesthetic i don't think is for the kids but the tone of the movie certainly is and it's like where does that leave me a a 30 something year old man who's here for the martial arts and whatnot (laughs) it's like well i guess it was okay but yeah yeah, as far as scott atkins movies go it's a more it's a much more handsome film from a production standpoint than most of his filmography which unfortunately we're gonna have to touch on a few rows down (laughs) but uh it's it's okay it's not bad it's it's fine (laughs) Mm -hmm. but uh moving along though we have uh the hand that feeds the dead from 1974 starring klaus kinski aka the man who can scare you without trying uh this is from full moon features uh looks like they do a lot of this kind of movie uh, evil bong 666 kind of movie um i'm not aware of this film uh, by reputation or otherwise but kind of cool cover art has that painterly look and feel to it mm-hmm. um and then we have a movie that i don't know anything about but i will single it out because i have read the book um back in college uh, martin eden from 2019 this is a kino release and uh, based on the names in the cast here it's an italian production uh, this is based on a uh, Jack London novel, if it's the same Martin Eden. Um, I really, really like that book, actually. I'm mm. not a big fan of Jack London, but this this book, I, it resonated with me. Uh, I think it's a neat story. Um, and I'm actually kind of curious to check this film adaptation out, because as far as I know, it's never been adapted to film before. Um, and it, it's a kind of a somber tale. Uh, okay. I, I'm curious what this would end up being on film. Um, but I'll, uh, I'll pass the baton to you, uh, Brad. What what jumps out at you next? Uh, one movie uh, I have not seen. I'm, I'm curious to check it out. The Kid Detective. Um, this was another movie that uh, did get lucky enough to, or maybe unlucky enough, I don't know. Depends how you look at it, to uh, get a theatrical release when theaters reopened. And um, it was playing around me. Um, it's a Canadian movie, Adam Brody, basically stars as somebody who used to be like a kid detective like a hardy boy or a nancy drew sort of thing um but he's now grown up and everybody kind of looks at him as sort of a, a goof and doesn't take him seriously and then he uh basically gets brought on to try to solve an actual murder case um and i've heard good things about it i've heard it's you know it's funny but it is kind of you know it's not a straight comedy it is sort of serious as well and it's uh, directed by Evan Morgan, who um, was a writer on a movie called The Dirties, which I uh, I did like that movie. I watched it a few months ago, so I'm I'm curious to check this one out. Yeah, uh, the 
the sum like the plot summary actually looks kind of intriguing um i can't help but think uh doogie hauser the next chapter <laughs> it's, yeah. like, it's like after doogie hauser this is what happened <laughs> um, yeah 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 it, it seems it seems like a neat premise um mm-hmm. you know yeah. that's always an interesting story to explore the person who peaked early <laughs> and then like the the fallout that comes after that um yeah, I I would check this out. I'm I'm not in a hurry or anything, but it sounds neat. Yeah, um, and I do like a good mystery, so uh, this could could fit the bill. Yeah, and it looks like it has a a fun vibe to it. Like it doesn't look like it would, it doesn't look like seven. Put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but moving along, we have a bunch of re-releases. Uh, Casper from 1995 being among them, uh, and one that I'll, I'll point out just because uh, February is going to be our uh, sports movie month uh, here at Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, you heard it here first, uh, and this is actually a a big one uh, among people who are into sports movies. I haven't seen uh, th- that would be Paul Newman and Slapshot. As far as I've heard, this is like one of the better sports movies out there. Um, and especially one of the better hockey movies out there. Um, but unfortunately, I haven't seen it, and maybe now is the time. Um, and then we have another Scott Adkins movie. Uh, so two in the same week, uh, and you better believe I got them both at the same time. <laughs> um, and as far as uh, quality goes, uh, this one is the lesser. Uh, so we had Max Cloud, and then we had Dead Reckoning, um, which, as far as I understand, began life as a teen romance film called Alter Rock. Uh, which is name dropped in the film a few times and somebody decided at some point in production that holy shit how do we sell this <laughs> like, uh, so they they got james remar and scott adkins uh and made a domestic terrorism story uh and merged it with a teen romance story and essentially what we have is uh, it's one part uh patriots day aka the the peterberg boston marathon bombing film and one part teen romance film <laughs> it's uh, it's disgusting it doesn't work at all uh there's some low budget filmmaking uh problems here uh they're proudly on display uh, including many scenes where i was like i was giggling like a schoolgirl on the couch yelling james remar's not on a boat <laughs> like james <laughs> remar's not in that town <laughs> because it is a loud and proud green screen of James Remar looking really tired. He didn't get his coffee that morning or something. And it's just him. It's like the, the a shot of the back of an old man's head. And then they cut to the front angle. And it's James Remar on a soundstage. <laughs> <laughs> and they do it like three or four times. And that's how you can tell that this was two movies that they kind of merged together in post. And uh, Scott Adkins is here for two action scenes both of which involve him beating up people who are above the age of 60 and losing badly like he gets his ass whipped twice and both times it's james remar and a woman who is of age and they they beat him down pretty badly both times and he spends about 30 percent of his screen time bleeding out and dying he dies off screen uh so if you're in if you're in it for the scott adkins stuff uh you are going to be sorely disappointed um, but yeah, it needs to be said, this is directed by uh, Andre uh, Bartkowiak, um, a.k.a. the godfather of the Kung Fu Hip Hop Connection films of the late 90s and early 2000s. <laughs> I, I made up that genre name just now, but there was a thing. Um, I think be- beginning with Romeo Must Die, uh, Black 
the American version of Black Mask, the, the Jet Li film, kind of fits into that category as well because they dubbed a bunch of Wu-Tang music over it. Um, but yeah, there was this movement in like late 90s, early 2000s Hollywood where we would mix a martial arts film with like an urban gangster flavor, <laughs> like, 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 like that kind of thing. So it's Romeo Must Die, Exit Wounds, and uh, Cradle to the Grave. And I think he did almost, I think he did all of them, <laughs> if not like two out of the three. Mm-hmm. But this was the first time I, his name popped up on my radar in a very long time. And I was dreading the release of this film because uh, for the longest time, it was just listed on Scott Adkins' filmography as Alter Rock. And then anything you read about it was like, what the fuck is this? It it looks it looks like a cheesy teen romance movie. And then it took like five years to get released, and this is what it is. Um, and it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Um so not directed by Andre Tarkovsky. Not not Tarkovsky, <laughs> different Andre, correct? Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe a little bit different Andre. Okay, okay. Just wanted to make sure. Yeah. Okay. Just just so we're clear. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but bopping on down, we have a bunch of re-releases of things that have come and gone and weren't especially thrilling at the time of release. Uh, I'm talking about like Dracula Untold and Triple Nine, which on paper I thought was going to be really fucking good. Um, and then I watched it and I was like, wow, that was some shit. <laughs> like, it, it's a, it is a, it's like the definition of a fart in the wind cop thriller. Yeah. Like the promotion for it looked good. The cast is actually like made of all stars for the most part. But then you watch the damn thing, and you're like, oh, okay, this is this is nothing. Like, I, I, I don't really know what we got here. But um, looks like everything is re-releases for the remainder of the calendar week. Um, yeah, so we may, pretty much. Uh, I'll just hit a little pit stop here and just point out that on January 20th, Angry Asian Murder Hornets drops. Uh, so if you've been waiting for that one, you better run out and get it, because there's probably not going to be many available. Well, it's fifty dollars for the Blu-ray on Amazon, so there might be quite a few available. Um. Wow, I didn't catch that. Holy <laughs> shit! <laughs> uh, maybe so. We had our we had our uh, our Blumhouse equivalent earlier. This would be the opposite of that. <laughs> it's like, sir, you need to understand what it is you're selling. <laughs> yeah, I think you need to rework your business model. I just love um, how the the cover. It's got five like you know, like typeface stars. It just maybe in some sort of an attempt to trick people and thinking somebody gave it five stars. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, every trick in the book, you got, you got to yeah, throw it out yeah. there. I mean, how else are you going to sell the damn thing? But uh, let's move on to January 26th. And uh, this is a weird one. Uh, so we have an arrow release of 2006's Southland Tales. This movie, Brad, what, Maybe you can tell me what the fuck is this movie? Uh, I've never seen this movie, and I know it. Uh, it's kind of got that reputation. I, but I'm very curious to watch it, just because I've heard it's so just bizarre. And I, I mean, I like uh, we. I don't know when it, if it was on air or whatever, but we we've talked about Donnie Darko, and uh, I like Donnie Darko not as much as I used to, but I've never seen this one, and I'm I'm curious to check it out. Yeah, uh, you you have to check it out, Brad. Uh, this this movie is fucked. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of behind the scenes shenanigans going on. There has to be. Like that's the only that's the only way I can conceive of this film being made is that something is terribly wrong. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I I don't think I would buy this movie. Um, 
but I would certainly revisit it just because it is so strange. Like, it has some serious problems to it. Um, holy shit, I'm looking at a... I'm looking at the filmography of the writer, producer, director, uh, Richard Kelly, and your uh, your S. Darko appears there. I don't know what he did for that, but he was involved in making S. Darko. It, it might just be like a based on characters created by credit potentially. Um, I mean, I would hope so, but you never know. <laughs> maybe... I, I did not see his name listed on the credits on the back of the DVD, but I could be wrong. <laughs> I'm just curious because, uh, yeah, uh, that 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 tracks, as the kids say. Um, yeah, this but, guy, he's got, what a weird career. He hasn't done anything since 2009. Yeah, I, there's probably a reason for that. <laughs> I guess, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Southland Tales was three years before. But, um, but moving along here, uh, we have a uh, discotheque media release of Rupan III, The Castle of Cagliostro. Um, a.k.a. Hayao Miyazaki's uh, first animated feature film, as far as I know. Mm. Um, this is from 1979, and this features the same Lupin character that we mentioned earlier. Um, this is a fantastic film. It's it's fun. <laughs> I, I would recommend it to anybody who likes animation or wants to see the early works of Miyazaki. Um, but alongside that, we have a movie that uh, had five minutes of fame on the internet and then quietly... <laughs> bowed out and you know left all of our collective memories uh, that would be 2020's fat man uh starring mel gibson and uh everybody's favorite uh, goofy-faced red man uh walton goggins um <laughs> i don't know why his skin is so red all the time <laughs> he looks like he looks like he either wears a lot of insta tan or he just hangs out in a tanning bed he probably has in all of his many homes around the world because this man works like he shows up in movies all the time but mm -hmm. yeah do you remember the hype train around this movie when it was getting rolling yeah definitely um and i've actually heard some decent things about it um i think some people may have uh kind of wrote written it off um just because mel gibson is in it which you know it's that's understandable i can understand that but uh, I, i've heard some people actually uh, say it's pretty solid and i do like the premise the idea of a, a kid getting a lump of coal in his stocking so he hires a hitman to go kill santa claus is a pretty cool it's a pretty good premise um so i might want to check this one out yeah everything i heard about it was that um the marketing for it i kind of shat the bed a little bit mm -hmm. uh, because mm -hmm. i i watched the trailers for it I, I read up on it a little bit and they do kind of try to trick you into thinking it's going to be an action movie and I guess there's very little of that in the film, but mm -hmm. Mel Gibson, say say what you will about him as a human being, uh, the man can act. Uh, he really can capture your attention on screen. Uh, so I, and Walton Goggins as well. There's a reason he has worked with Tarantino. It's because he's he he works constantly. He'll do anything for any change you throw at him. But the man always shows up to play. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm confident in thinking that some of the performances in the film are actually quite good. Uh, only problem is if you're showing up expecting a slam bang action thriller or something, uh, you're not going to get that. Uh, so I could see it having difficulty maybe finding finding an audience after that fact has been exposed. Um, but yeah, I was intrigued by the premise for sure. I don't know. I don't know anything that the uh, directors have done besides this, but uh, definitely uh, feels like it might have been just the sort of the high concept premise that might have put them on the map. I mean, you got to start somewhere. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. May as well be fat, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but moving on down, uh, we have uh, Dark Tower from 1989. This is a Vinegar Syndrome disc. Uh, I'm not sure it was wise to put that monster on the cover because uh, the cover art is actually quite stunning, but then the monster makeup there doesn't look that great. But, you know, that's their choice, not mine. Mm-hmm. Um we have something called Family Portraits, a trilogy of America from uh, 2003 by uh, Severin Films. Um, I'm just going to read the description here. From acclaimed director Douglas Buck comes an unflinching, disturbingly beautiful look at the underbelly of American family. Three separate narratives, including the shocking film festival favorite, cutting moments, as well as home and prologue, combine to create a unique trilogy of life today that will leave you devastated and begging for more. Uh, doesn't sound like it's for me, but uh, it's going to do it for somebody. Uh, and beside that, we have a Criterion release of The Ascent. And uh, based on all those uh, Cyrillic characters, I have to imagine it's a, a Russian film and or a country nearby to Russia. Uh, not <laughs> aware of this film, but uh, 1977, put out by Criterion, probably worth your time. And then we have something that I actually just saw a trailer for um, on, I think, one of the Scott Adkins discs that I, <laughs> that I watched just the other day. Uh, this would be Synchronic from 2019, uh, starring uh, everybody's favorite boring person, uh, Jamie Dornan. I don't know what it is about that guy's face, but it does nothing for me. <laughs> and uh, Anthony Mackie, uh, who most people do like <laughs> because mm-hmm. he's charismatic. But Jamie Dornan... Uh, charisma vacuum in my book anyway maybe maybe the ladies like him does nothing for me is he is he the 50 shades of gray guy is that what i'm correct okay i was because i was like i can't even think of i know the name but i can't think of who this guy is but okay that's where he's from (laughs) it's that guy (laughs) the guy with the face um this movie looked uh kind of interesting uh they they were really 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 pushing to promote the uh the directors of it um they, as far as I know, they're most famous for that um, the Endless movie from a few years ago, um, which I haven't seen, but I did see some trailers for it, and I'm actually kind of worried that uh, maybe these guys, that's what they do, is they make like really good trailer movies, where it's like from a, a premise standpoint, stunning, really creative stuff, but then the actual movie, I haven't heard anything about the Endless. I've seen the trailer for it countless times on countless like shit dvds have bought over the years mm-hmm. uh, it looks like a like a interesting premise but i couldn't tell you if the execution is worthwhile i'll uh i'll go to bat for these guys and uh i didn't love the end endless but i remember liking it and uh their film before the endless it's called spring and it's uh i don't know if you know the premise of it but basically imagine like before sunrise where a, a guy is in a uh European city by himself he falls in love with a uh uh you know an exotic European woman but then uh he finds out that she is actually a some sort of monster and so it's a love story sort of mixed with a monster movie and I I actually really liked it um so I I didn't know these guys even had this movie coming out so I'm kind of I'm I'm definitely curious to check this one out because I at least liked both of their previous things well, they definitely dabble in the high concept world, and mm-hmm. they definitely touch on horror as well. Um, and everything I was seeing, like attached to the promotion for this synchronic movie, um, they really were kind of like not so subtly, kind of trying to 
say that, hey, you know, that prestige horror sound you've been looking for? Well, listen to this. <laughs> um, it seems like they're trying to, like, whoever it is that's financing them or whatever is trying to make people think of them when they think of, like, the hereditaries and the um, the witches of the horror realm and whatnot. So yeah, um, I know you're into a lot of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, maybe uh, maybe it's time to explore their catalog a little bit. Yeah. Um, but moving along here, uh, we have The House of Usher from 1989. This would be a Vinegar Syndrome release, always worth your time. Um, we have Batman colon Soul of the Dragon, which is a DC animated universe film, which means it is a aggressively mediocre. I think I used that phrase earlier in this recording. Um, we have Silent Madness 3D from 1984. Um, we have a AGFA horror trailer show um that sounds like fun i actually had a vhs tape called uh, fantastic dinosaurs of the movies um mm. that uh, my parents got me when i was a kid and i wore that thing out uh, basically it was just a vhs tape of uh old dinosaur movie trailers from oh, cool. like the 1950s through like the early 70s and mm-hmm. the advertising style of those movies was wonderful like it's so charming because they they blow their wad with the trailer <laughs> like they show you every cool thing that happens in the movie and then there's all these like hand drawn titles just being thrown in your face constantly <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's always like whiz bang pow <laughs> it's it's very over the top and it's a lot of fun but i bet you this is kind of like that um and then we have a uh, interesting release from arrow that actually makes me happy um, this would be uh gamera the showa and the heisei era uh separated uh, because before they had much like the criterion godzilla box set um arrow put out a huge box set of like every gamera movie ever except for the one from the 2000s um <laughs> so kind of fucked up there but um they split <laughs> it in half into two different eras here so if if you favor one or the other now you can save a bunch of money and just get one or the other, um, and it needs to be said, Brad. Uh, if you're if you're interested in high quality giant Japanese rubber suit monster movies, um, the Heisei era, the 1995. Oh, they did include the one from the 2000s. So excuse me, I'm wrong. Um, good on them. Uh, that box set, every one of those movies except for the 2006 one, uh, <laughs> is like top of the line like yeah very, very few movies of this subgenre can claim to be better than those um I so for them you you would prefer this era over the uh the other one i i do but the 1960s ones are a, a totally different category of movie um this mm-hmm. was like the 1960s aside from gamera's uh first appearance he was friend to all children and he had he had a theme song sung by a children's choir um and it was just him like with really shitty special effects and i mean for fuck's sake it's a turtle with rocket boosters in his ass and (laughs) at one point they uh the tokyo olympics were going on when they were making the movie so they had him do a bunch of like olympic events in the rubber suit (laughs) like he's doing like the fucking high bars and stuff like like, (laughs) like the parallel bars and shit yeah it's wonderful it's a totally different category of movie but the 90s ones it's like they really try to take it seriously Mm. and really try to like do something very unique and creative with the film with with the production of the film um, a lot of the storytelling is handled through news reports and uh it's it creates a sense of reality that's really rare in these kinds of movies 
whereas the mm-hmm. 60s ones are really hokey and it's just stupid fun and they're always like really over the top violent too <laughs> for kids yeah. movies where there's a there's a battle in the same one with the uh, olympic event action where a uh, uh, gauss like a pterodactyl looking thing uh, gets all of its limbs chopped off <laughs> like one at a time <laughs> and there's like blood spraying everywhere it's like nice. for kids <laughs> nice nice yeah, yeah it's great um, now did the uh did the complete box sets did those sell out like is that gone now i want to say yeah because the price on that box set is it's rough these days <laughs> okay yeah. Um, so this is like a second printing. It's a second chance for anybody who wants it, which may include me, uh, being as the only uh, version I have of these Blu-rays, uh, of the 90s ones anyway, is uh, a Mill Creek box set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, time to get those in the trash and upgrade, my friend. That's the right. arrow. Yeah. Um, this uh, Come Play from 2020, is this one known to you, Brad? Uh, it was another one that was a theatrical release uh, when theaters reopened. I think it got actually pretty decent reviews, just kind of a horror movie, sort of a, a kid has an imaginary friend, and I don't know if it's a supernatural thing or a monster thing or whatnot, but definitely it was one that I was, you know, interested in. Um, you know, didn't go see it, of course, but uh, yeah, I, I would be curious to watch it, and it's got... Um, uh, What's her name from Community? Uh, Gillian Jacobs, Jillian Jacobs. I ever say her name? Um, and I like her, so uh, yeah, I might I might check this one out. Just a nice little horror film. Yeah, I didn't know the premise just based off the title, but now that you mention it, um, I have heard of this, and mm-hmm. it looked just interesting enough for me to check out. But nothing I'd be in a hurry to you know run out to buy or anything like that. Yeah. Um, beside that, we have a really cool cover for a Vinegar Syndrome release of Fade to Black which uh, is actually on my radar. Um, this is a movie that I don't know actually if it has a good reputation or not, but I, I know it from like a few clips here and there and uh, the novelty of one of the actors being, um, I think he plays the character Eddie in uh, It, the the TV movie version of uh, Stephen mm. King's novel. Um, mm-hmm. It's literally the only other time I've ever seen him in anything. And uh, I don't know, for some reason this always looked intriguing to me. Uh, it's like a it's like a horror film geek who goes on a killing spree. Yeah, yeah. I don't know quite uh, what their reputation is, but I know uh, I at least know that it has a reputation. And uh, sometimes for these vinegar syndrome releases, that's that's enough to get you to pull the trigger because the the you know the release is going to be gorgeous. So yeah, I, I mean I'm not about to run out and buy this, but it is a movie that every once in a while it pops up back on my radar, and I'm like eh, I should probably see that sometime. But you know it ends up on that stack that just keeps on growing <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that back catalog but um we have something called uh tales of the uncanny from 2020 uh it's a severin film production uh i would assume that's like a documentary or something but um i have no idea what that is there's no real description from what i can see um but beside that we do have an anime that i do want to put the magnifying glass under for just a second um that would be hajime no ippo the fighting uh this would be oh it says collection one so it's like part one of hopefully more to come so this is from the year 2000 uh through the year 2001 uh this is a anime slash manga about boxing and this uh this is a big one for me personally um i got obsessed with this shit in high school and Mm. this this manga started in 1989 and persists to this day 
So it is still being written pretty much weekly. <laughs> um, there's well over like, mo- I think there's like 2000 chapters or some shit. Wow. It's ridiculous. Um, I have a bunch of these collected editions, which are several hundred pages each. I have over a hundred of those and it's still fucking going. And what's <laughs> especially embarrassing is that the whole premise of the story is that it's a high school student who gets pulled into the world of boxing and then has a a sparring match with a like a prospect and gets the better of the prospect and then from that point on in 1989 the whole joke has been they're gonna fight someday again and they still haven't <laughs> <laughs> wow it's like yeah as you the reader have to like look within yourself and come to terms with the fact that's like oh my god i have wasted my life <laughs> like waiting for this fight well that will never happen but um this is an outstanding comic and uh, and anime. Uh, the show is actually one of the kind of rare examples of a of an animated version where they they don't cut very many corners. Like it's very common for adaptations in Japanese animation to make some changes here and there. Like really take things for a walk and either excise details entirely or expound on others, and sometimes just fabricate entirely new bullshit. Uh, but this one, they made it a point to stay very loyal to the source material. And mm-hmm. it's fantastic. Um, I even got my fucking mom to watch the show. Like, all wow. 75 episodes of it. And and they made two more television series, um, maybe even three, uh, since this. But what's especially hilarious about that is, from an animation standpoint, two or three entire television series, minimum 25 episodes, still at, like book 40 or something uh, no like no they're in the 50s i think out of over like 120 so <laughs> so it's not even half the fucking story got a long way to go <laughs> yeah they've got a long way to go and voice actors are aging out and or dying <laughs> so <laughs> so there is a serious problem with how they're going about this but yeah because it's based on boxing and whatnot it is a little bit of a niche story it's certainly not for everybody because not everybody's into that sort of thing um, but I just want to point out that it's like, man, the only way I've ever seen this is through bootleg DVDs I bought off of eBay in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would be really, really nice to go back and watch this in HD with like high quality English subtitles. So I'm like, I'm kind of over the moon that this is actually happening because I never thought it would. That's cool. That is cool. Yeah. I mean, they put out DVDs way back in the day, but those were exorbitantly expensive and just not not worth it but Mm -hmm. yeah this is this is one for me and uh one that's not for me but one that i'll probably dump some fucking money into because i'm an idiot is a genocyber from 1994 (laughs) um in terms of fucked up shit this one might actually fall under that category yeah because this is a this is a a mean spirited anime like it's a it's an ova collection i think it's only four episodes and there's like two minutes of absolutely incredible animation and then the rest of it's garbage so they knew where their budget was going it's like okay we need like these two money shots and then the rest of it can be shit it's like (laughs) it's like thundercats or something where it's like okay if we nail the intro we can fuck up the whole season and nobody will care because that intro is fantastic Mm -hmm. same with this where it's like you spend the entire fucking thing waiting for genocyber to show up it does it's cool for like two minutes and then it's over. <laughs> and then the whole road up to that was absolute total crap. Um, but yeah, in terms of mean spirited um, productions, this is up there. Like this is really dark. Evil. Yeah. 
mean spirited shit that's like i don't know who this is for but this uh this director like maybe the maybe these listed here i noticed they don't always do that for animation uh koichi ohata um yeah he has a hate boner that's like 30 yards long (laughs) because because a lot of the stuff he makes is just like really really just uncompromisingly brutal and mean um md geist Oh fuck, MD Geist. He did. He did MD. Oh shit. Um, I was threatening <laughs> Kyle with MD Geist. Like I've been threatening Kyle with MD Geist since we started catching up on cinema. I don't think we'll ever do it because it's so fucking bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if uh, if you want to see what a, a Japanese man with uh, access to animation and other people's money can do, <laughs> like with a with a hate boner thirty yards long. Uh, yeah, Koichi Ohata. Check him out. <laughs> I'm putting his work at the top of my watch list. I can't wait. <laughs> uh, well, that's enough out of me, Brad. Um, anything else jump out at you? Uh, there's another Vinegar Syndrome release here I don't know much about. Don't Panic from 88. Uh, let's see. On his 17th birthday, Michael unwittingly unlocks the evil forces of a Ouija board. You got a great mullet on the main character in this one, so it's a Vinegar Syndrome release. Ever since, uh, you know, engaging in their uh, Vinegar Syndrome Black Friday sale, I've been on the Vinegar Vine. I might pick up a few of these, so maybe this will be one of them. (laughs) It's all about that mullet action, huh? (laughs) (laughs) It's like you just see see the the mullet, and you're like, sold! (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yep. I, I, I don't know about that one for me, but um, Vinegar Syndrome is one of those publishers that I've actually never... I don't own any other products, so I'm actually itching for an excuse to check out this stuff. I don't think it'll be that, but, you know, it might be worth a look. Um, and I have a, uh, a question for you, Brad. Okay. Born a Champion 2020, is it a Lionsgate? Um, let's see. My my gut reaction is to say yes, but I'm going to say no on this one. I'm going to say no. You're wrong. <laughs> oh, it is. <laughs> it is. Uh, so this would be Sean Patrick Flannery, Katrina Bowden, and Dennis Quaid <laughs> in what appears to be a... Oh, uh, it, it no, it, it looks like a boxing drama, but if you look at the figures at the bottom of the cover, it looks like it's mixed martial arts. And oh, okay. as far as I know, um, Sean Patrick Flannery, um, say what you will about him as an actor, and there's not a whole lot to say, unfortunately. He was he was young Indiana Jones. He did some shitty Boondock Saints movies. Still waiting for that third one. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, I know it's going to be crap, but I really do hope they make that so I can hate watch it. Um, apparently he got really into Brazilian jiu-jitsu at some point. Um, okay. and as far as I know, he's like trying to make movies centered around that. So this is probably like, I wouldn't be surprised if he had like a producer's credit on this where he's like, yeah, I want to roll with somebody on film. It's like, no, nobody wants to see that, Sean. <laughs> it's like, well, I'll, I'll pay for it. It's <laughs> like, okay, fine. <laughs> I, I gotta ask. This is off topic, but I just gotta ask. Uh, did you see the promotional image for the uh, of Dennis Quaid for the Ronald Reagan biopic? Mind blown. Uh, no, <laughs> I was not aware of this, Brad. I'm gonna have to Google is, that shit. It is one of the funniest promotional pics I've ever seen because it's a picture of Dennis Quaid and Ronald Reagan in the same pose, both wearing a cowboy hat, and it's so funny because they released it like. I'm sure to get like get hype for the movie, 
and he looks nothing like Ronald Reagan. It is so funny. It's like it's literally just Dennis Quaid wearing the same hat. Like that. It, that's it. I'm looking so at funny. It. I'm looking at it right now. It's so funny. <laughs> what the? What are they thinking? <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing. Why would you do that? Why would you draw attention to that? Yeah, well, I, th- this movie, I, I don't know too much about it, but um, I believe this is the movie where uh, the lead singer of Creed is going to play uh, Frank Sinatra, so I don't think this is actually going to be like a, a high-quality studio film. I think this is kind of just a, a weird one-off kind of thing. Um, but yeah, that image is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, no, I, th- I'll tell you this much. This this Reagan film is is not targeted at me. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> but um, yeah, just just the putting them side by side was a bad move because they they bear no resemblance to one another, and they didn't even they didn't even bother to make him up. And if they did, I can't tell because that just looks like Dennis Quaid with all of his you know plastic surgery that he done himself uh, without mm. the help of the studio. But um, apparently Dennis Quaid is not a good person. <laughs> oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, apparently he's a shit heel behind the scenes. Somebody, oh, like, yeah. Yeah, somebody told some stories about how he was. He has a band, by the way, and they're terrible. Um, <laughs> you should look them up, though, because they'll make you laugh because it's like it's like dad rock. <laughs> it's yeah, like yeah. the ugly, ugliest form of like. I don't know, middle age crisis, like uh, <laughs> dad rock. <laughs> but apparently he, he was really nasty to some people in a green room. And he's just generally not a cool guy uh, by most standards. But I will give him this. Uh, the Intruder, if you're, if you're down for that kind of movie, that is a fun watch. <laughs> I have been meaning to watch that. Uh, that has been one I wanted to see. Yeah, it's, it, is a gr- it is a fun time. <laughs> like, it's terrible. And it, it's... It's not good in any way, really, but it made me laugh at a lot of times, and a lot of it had to do with him. Uh, so I'll give him credit for that. Uh, yeah, it, no. it's kind of like uh, Unhinged, where it's just like it's <laughs> it's that kind of movie where it's you know, check the brain at the door, don't take it too seriously, just just laugh at the over the top performances of of these middle aged men who are kind of lost in limbo in terms of their filmography right now because Russell Crowe is still a good performer, but I don't know what. I don't think they know what to do with him right now. Uh-huh. So he does stuff like that and he fucking kills it. But you know, only some people see the movie. Although maybe COVID helped that movie a little bit. <laughs> I think it did. Uh, I think it did. <laughs> yeah. I, Brad and I both vouch for unhinged. It's a fun mm-hmm. movie. <laughs> yeah. This, this does seem to be in that zone. I got to check it out. I got to check yeah. out the intruder. <laughs> you do. It, it is fun. It's stupid. It's, it's not very well thought out, but it's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there's anything else really to point out uh, for yeah. January 2021. So let's wrap things up with just a little bit of a review. So I'll let Brad collect himself um, and take his picks and whatnot. But I'm going to go backwards up the calendar and just point out anything that seems worth a watch or worth a purchase. So after all I said about Hajime no Ippo, I think I do have to buy that. Um, like I said, I have nothing but bootleg discs that don't even have cover art to them. So, um, And they're in uh, blue plastic jewel cases that are like two millimeters tall. Um, so yeah, this this needs to replace that for sure. Um, General Cyber is a maybe because everything everything I said, like all that trashing I did of it, uh, this, this series was kind of like among those uh, blockbuster video anime releases from the late 80s, early 90s. 
And mm-hmm. I have a very soft spot for those particular Japanese animated films uh, because that's what we all had access to. That's what we we in the states had. That was that was Japanese animation. It was always blood and guts, really weird, angry shit. Um, so this is like a nostalgia bomb for me in that way. Even though I can acknowledge it's fucking terrible. Um, uh, moving up, Southland Tales. No, sorry, <laughs> you're not getting my money, but. It might be worth doing an episode on at some point just so I can hear Kyle just constantly say, what the fuck? (laughs) 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 Like, what is this? Um, Dead Reckoning, I already have. Max Cloud, I already have. Uh, Oh, by the way, I bought Dead Reckoning on DVD. That's how bad I thought. That's how bad I thought it was going to be. Okay. Um, All right. I feel I feel vindicated now that I've seen the film and confirm can confirm it's terrible. Uh, JSA, uh, the Arrow release of it, that's a maybe. Uh, Prince of Darkness on 4K. Man, I I really do want to knock that one out at some point. Uh, so that, that's also a maybe. A 4.5 out of 5 in terms of image quality is it's not nothing. Um, and it is a gap in my uh, early John Carpenter filmography. Blind Fury. Mill Creek version of Blind Fury is a maybe. Um, grizzly 2 the revenge if if that goes down in price to like 20 like not like 25 but like 20 bucks i might check that out and i might yeah. also grab grab a copy of the first one too because i haven't seen it since i was a kid mm-hmm. uh, in search of darkness part two i already said i had it um and love and monsters is that's that's like a red box rental i'm not paying any more than like two bucks for that but yeah, pretty thin month for me, other than the Scott Atkins stuff that I all... It was a given I was going to buy it. <laughs> well, of course, of course, yeah. Um, your Scott Atkins is my Saoirse Ronan. I got to just just buy whatever she's in. Doesn't matter what. <laughs> um, uh, my uh, picks, I'll probably get Buried Alive. Uh, can finally con- confirm or deny if it's the movie I've been questioning for my entire life uh i guess i guess i'll be getting ammonite just because uh search is in it uh I'll, I'll probably pick up those two twilight time releases at some point uh the man from hong kong and venom the the john carpenter 4ks i don't i'm i'm tempted to get them i usually don't buy things on 4k if i already have them on blu-ray just because just for like a money saving thing but these ones might be the ones i pull the trigger on um let's see i will i might i might get southland tales i might i'm very curious to check it out um and then i think that's about it i think that's about it okay well you know it's it's not a terrible month as far as potential buys go but uh certainly not the best we've had though Mm -hmm. but uh that being said, I guess that about wraps it up for catching up on Blu-ray for this month. So, um, Brad, as always, thank you so much for joining me and reviewing the calendar. Um, but before we go, you want to let the folks at home know where they can find you and your podcast? Oh, I, I'd love to. Uh, they can find uh, my show. It's the uh, Cinema Speak podcast. So search for us on anywhere you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. You can follow us on Twitter at the Cinema Speak or on Instagram, Cinema Speak podcast. And then you can also check us out on a web page, cinemaspeak.libsyn.com. Very nice. Rolls off the tongue, as always, <laughs> quick on the draw. But um, for for my side of things, uh, if you'd like to catch up on any of our other uh, Catching Up on Cinema content, uh, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. 
Um, we're also available on the social medias in the form of an Instagram at Catching Up on Cinema, as well as the Twitter at Catching Cinema. So feel free to hit me up there and let me know how terrible I am at my job. Um, and we're also available on pretty much any podcasting platform you can imagine. So fucking Google it. Uh, but yeah, that being said, uh, thank you so much for joining us and uh, we will catch you next time. Oh my God, a re-release of Battleship and Mile 22? Wow. <laughs> Good stuff. Just what I've been waiting for. The very best of Peter Berg. The very best. <laughs> Nothing but the best. Yeah. I've never seen Battleship. Maybe that's why I still consider myself a fan of Peter Berg. Uh, that could have something to do with it. Uh, yeah, you've seen Mile 22, correct? I have. It's not good. That, it, it's no, not good. It's, no, it's trash, and I can't yeah. believe they tried to sequel bait that shit. <laughs> yeah. You seriously thought you were going to get an, a sequel and or television series out of this? <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> also, they didn't even... They were, like, trying to, like, pussyfoot, like, around the politics and stuff. It's like, oh, it's not Indonesia. It's some... No name Asian country, just miscellaneous part of Asia. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the you know whole thing with like casting Ronda Rousey in there just because it's like, huh? They I guess they have that entourage connection or something. But she didn't do shit other mm-hmm. than like have aggro dialogue and get blowed up. <laughs> cool. <laughs> that's yeah. that's good use of your casting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's another one that that I should put that right next to American Assassin. It's just like it's in that <laughs> it's zone. just like like really just kind of slightly uncomfortable, like politically speaking, uh, low grade spy thriller kind mm-hmm. of type movie. Yeah, of which yeah. there are tons. I mean, Lionsgate makes their livings off of that. Oh yeah, somehow this Lionsgate one was and a, Saban. This one was somehow a th- theatrical release, though. Somehow, probably just because the Mark Wahlberg uh, aspect. Yeah, it's just because they got Marky Mark. Yeah. And it's in this one he gets to play a genius. <laughs> His brain moves too fast. <laughs> Yikes. Yikes. Uh, now you're making me want to like put it on again just so I can like hate watch it or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I guess we should get to it.